Okay, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, please. Some time ago, there was an ad that you saw quite frequently in the media, TV and so on. And it said something like this, a mind is a terrible thing to lose. You remember that ad? A mind is a terrible thing to waste. Right, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. It's just as terrible to lose it, of course. But this morning, in keeping with our theme, since the emancipation celebration and slavery, I want to speak about a mind that if you have, you need to use and not waste or lose. And if you don't have this mind, you need to get it. And once you have it, you certainly don't want to waste it or lose it. It's the mind of Christ as described in this passage. Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8. Now this is the classical passage dealing with the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And it really gives us a glimpse into the psychological aspects of his suffering. Second only, I believe, to the description of his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he anticipated the cruelties and the pain of Calvary, especially separation from his father. The Bible tells us that his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. And in that description, you have a tremendous description of Jesus' emotional and pain at that particular time. Well, we have something like that here in this passage as well. This is the passage as Bible scholars call the kenosis. That's Greek for self-emptying, because it describes what is called the self-emptying of Jesus Christ. And I believe it is undoubtedly one of the greatest passages in the Bible that focuses on the person of Jesus Christ. But one of the most amazing things about this tremendous theological passage is that it comes at a least unexpected time, dealing with a seemingly mundane relational problem among members of the incredible body of Christ at Philippi. In other words, it's introduced in the midst of Paul dealing with a squabble between two women in the church. Oh yeah, women were squabbling long ago. All right? But the teaching here is profound. And its implications are far-reaching to say the least. And it lends a significant impact to the concept of slavery as taught in the Bible in our relationship to Jesus Christ. And of course, that's the focus of our attention, as I mentioned, since the 200th year celebration of emancipation last week or two weeks ago. Listen to this passage then. Follow in your Bibles with it as I read it. And ask the Spirit of God to impact its truth upon your heart. I'm reading from the King James Version. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, as we saw last time, this word is really slave. Because we want to remind you that at least 90, 95% of the time you see the word servant in the New Testament, you really should translate it slave. And one of the reasons for it being translated servant was because of the, so one of the reasons, because of the social implications. It was not just the uh, political thing to say. So we read it in this fashion but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a slave and was made in the likeness of men who were enslaved to sin. And being found in fashion as a man who was enslaved to sin, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We stop there for now. The Apostle Paul had a wonderful way of combining doctrine and practice, teaching and exhortation. He would sometimes present a major doctrinal truth, 
then based on that truth, he presents a practical challenge as to how that truth is to be applied. Other times, he will reverse the procedure, challenge first, then the doctrine upon which it is based. This is what he does in his passage. First, he tells us what we should do practically, and then he tells us why theologically. You see, in an attempt to settle a then-current dispute between two warring women in the assembly at Philippi, Paul first pleads for unity, humility, and regard for the needs of others. That's the first four verses. Then he cites Jesus Christ as a supreme example of these needed virtues. And in the process, he reveals what he calls the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ. I like to call it the mindset of Christ. Paul's thesis then is this. If you display or exhibit this mindset in your relationship with other people, with other believers, there would be no dissension or factions within the body of Christ. If you show the mindset of Jesus Christ, there would be no factions in the body. There would be no squabblings, no fighting. That's his thesis. But amazingly, and this is the aspect that is normally missed because we have mistranslated the word. What he is pleading for, the mindset to be exhibited, if everything is going to be harmonious in the church, is the mindset of a slave. Let that sink in. It's the mindset of a slave. Let this mindset be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who became a slave. Now in this passage, he states at least three elements or three parts of this mindset. First, the mindset of Christ was a mindset of reckoning or accounting. These are bookkeeping terms. And he revealed this mindset of accounting or reckoning prior to his incarnation. If you look at your scriptures again in verses 5 through 7, it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. This is the net translation. But made himself nothing. That's the kenosis. He emptied himself. In other words, Paul is saying here, Jesus was God and he knew it. But more than that, he didn't think it was something that should keep him from helping people who needed his help. That's the context here. Jesus was the effulgence of God's glory. He was the exact and perfect expression of deity. In him dwell the deity in, God, in, in human form. He didn't have to seek after deity. He was divine. He is divine. And he will forever be divine. He is God. Now in the context of our series of messages on the concept of slavery, Jesus was master of the universe. And he knew it. He didn't have to seek after it. He was master. Now in this state, from this position as master of the universe, he made a reckoning. He sees the condition of mankind enslaved to sin. And he makes a reckoning. He sat down, as it were, and he counted the cost. By the way, those words are actually used in the New Testament concerning Jesus Christ. Counting the cost. He evaluated what it would cost him and the Godhead to redeem mankind sold under the slavery of sin to himself. How he would pay the purchase price. And release them, emancipate them from slavery. He sat down as it were, and he figured it all out. He counted the cost of the redemption price. 
Then based on that reckoning, based on that accounting, he emptied or laid aside for a while his outward prerogatives of glory for the sake of man. He did not give up his deity, but he did give up the privileges and the outward manifestation of that glory. He veiled it in human flesh, the flesh of a slave. He became just like you and just like me. This accounting led to self-abasement. The master decided to become a slave. Think about that now. Listen carefully now. Paul is teaching us that one of the major reasons for the incarnation of Jesus Christ was that he could become a slave like us. We who were enslaved to our slave master's sin, even though he was not a sinner. Why did Jesus die? Was it because he was a sinner? No. It's because he took the punishment of our sin upon himself. He died as a sinner, even though he wasn't a sinner. That's the reckoning. Accounting he made. The master of the universe chose to become a slave for the sake of the slave so that he could redeem them from the captivity of sin. What an amazing thought that is. But now, secondly, after he became man, he revealed his mindset as the God-man as well. Not only as God before he became man, but he revealed his mindset as the God-man as well. And two aspects are involved here on this level. Look at this passage again. The latter part of verse 7, the text says, Taking the very nature of a slave, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, that was the ultimate price that he had to pay as a slave. He wasn't a sinner, but yet he subjected himself to the consequence of being a sinner, and that's death. His mindset is revealed in two aspects then. First, he humbled himself by becoming a slave. Then secondly, as a slave, he obediently offered himself as a sacrifice for man's sin. Oh, listen now, if you're here and you've never placed faith in Jesus Christ, please listen carefully. Because this message here in this text here could be the source of your emancipation from sin. You could begin to celebrate emancipation if you place your faith in this master who became a slave so that you might be set free. Listen carefully. He obediently offered himself as a sacrifice for man's sin. And so that's the three aspects of the mind of Christ in this passage. Self-abasement, self-humbling, self-offering. Self-abasement, self-humbling, self-offering. That's the mindset and position of a slave of Jesus Christ as well. That's what it should be, because that's the mindset of Jesus Christ. And in this passage, he says, let this mindset be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus that's the reason for the incarnation, to allow Jesus Christ to become a slave so that he could meet the Father's holy demands for emancipating or redeeming all those who are slaves to sin. What a move. We like to celebrate Wilberforce as the great emancipator of slavery, and he was on a human level. But the great, great, the greatest of emancipators was Jesus Christ 
himself. When he died on the cross to redeem those who were sold under sin. Now one of the facts that is often overlooked in dealing with the context of this fantastic passage is that the mind-boggling truth of the incomprehensible incarnation of Jesus Christ is really not the major or the big idea of this passage. This wasn't the primary purpose for the writing of this passage to talk about the self-emptying of Jesus Christ. In fact, the incarnation of Jesus is really an illustration used to explain and to apply the true theme or subject of what Paul is discussing. And that is that the incarnation of the mind and attitude of Jesus Christ in the individual believer's relationship to other members of the incredible body of Christ. In other words, what he's looking for The purpose of this passage is to tell us the mind of Christ that led him to be a slave to redeem those sold under slavery of sin is to be reproduced in the believer in their relationship to one another. Isn't that an amazing thing? This tremendous, this fantastic, this mind-boggling theological truth concerning the incarnation of Jesus Christ is meant as an illustration, an impetus, if you want, for us to reproduce that mind in our relationship to one another. That's often missed here. But that's the main purpose for this passage. In other words, Paul's major concern here although important, is not the revelation of the mind of Christ himself, but rather, it's the reproduction of that mind in the believer personally in our relationship to one another. Look at verse 5. Please, look at the scriptures. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now would you read that in your just read it out loud please if you don't mind. If you mind don't read it. But if you don't just read it out in your passage verse 5. That's the word of God. I did not write this last night. That's what we call an imperative. It's a command, not a suggestion. Not a theory, not a prayer. That's a command. And to disobey any direct command of God is what? Is what? What is it? You don't like that word, does it? Do you? But it is. To disobey a direct command of God is sin. S I N. God expects believers. To reproduce the mindset or attitude of Christ as demonstrated in the process of his incarnation on an ongoing basis. It is the key to oneness and Christ-likeness. And remember, that's the mindset of a slave. To what is master. Slave doesn't say to his master, that ain't a good idea, boss. I ain't gonna do that. The words no by slave to master cannot be said at the same breath. This is a command. Now I can hear somebody saying right now, you must be kidding. How can we be expected to live like that? Isn't that something you're thinking? Sure, yeah. I know I was. Still am. 
How can we expect to do what Christ did? After all, you yourself just made the point that he's God, master of the universe. How can we expect to duplicate his lifestyle, his attitude, his mindset in our lives? Not only was he the ultimate master. Now here's the paradoxical thing here. He was and is also the ultimate slave to his father's will. The ultimate master became the ultimate slave. Can you, can you fathom that? The ultimate master became the ultimate slave to the will of his father. There could be no greater master than Jesus Christ. In fact, Jared was just singing about it. There's coming a day when every knee, everywhere is going to fall down before him, bow the knees, and confess that he is Lord, that he is master of all. That's going to happen. You say, how can I do it? How can I reproduce this mind? Well, I want to give you a three-part response to this question as to whether or not we can truly exhibit a divine slave mentality as exhibited by Jesus Christ. Now, some of you right now are offended with that word, aren't you? Slave mentality. What did you say, Paisvel? Good to see you. But that's right. We just don't like to think along those lines because of the abuse and the way it, people are so dehumanized through the traffic trade in this part of the world. And so we get out of our mind altogether any idea or concept of slavery and master. But yet it is one of the major teachings in scripture concerning our most intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's then look and see whether we can reproduce his mind. First, you must be reminded that this truth is not just a theological concept or ideal here. It is a command. We're just not sitting down here chewing the fat, saying, boy, this is, you know, this is a big theory here. Just let's put all of our ideas together about the coming of Jesus Christ. This is a big theological truth. No, 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 no. This is a command. Your mindset, your attitude should be the same. The same as that of Jesus Christ. The same. And if we believe that the word of God is inspired, we have to believe that he means the same. The King James puts it this way. Let the mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus I say again, it's a command. And God never commands us to do anything we cannot do. Nothing. Of course, with his help. But he never commands us to do anything he doesn't expect us to do. And to disobey is sin. It's rebellion against the word and will of God. And it shows that you're not a slave of Christ your own master because you're making a decision not to listen to the master Christ but secondly this has been done the mind of Christ has already been re reproduced in other individuals take Moses for instance listen to the words Hebrews chapter 11 verse 24 by faith Moses when he had grown up refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's the position of master. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God who were slaves. Rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. Speaking about Moses now. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. That's Moses. Moses walked with kings and princes and was equal to them in Pharaoh's court. He was probably next in line to be king, to be master of Egypt. But while recognizing his privileged position, he counted or reckoned the fact 
that identifying himself as a slave with his people and being a reproach for the sake of Christ was far greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. That's the mind of Christ exhibited in Moses. Consider Paul. Philippians 3 verse 4. He says, If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I have reached the ultimate as far as religion is concerned. I am a master in the area of religion. Pharisee of the Pharisees. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. He was on top of the world, did you see? But now notice what he says. But whatever was to my profit, that's the accounting. That's the reckoning. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ. That's the mindset of Christ. That's the mindset of of a slave. You see, Paul was on equal terms with the most moral and religious men of his day. He had achieved all the points, the perks and the prestige that could be achieved socially, academically, and religiously. Then he met Jesus Christ and his world turned upside down. The master became a slave. I count, I reckon all these things as loss that I might know Christ. What? What you have me to do, master. He made an accounting, a reckoning just like Moses did. Just as Christ did. And like them, he decided to put the will of God and the need of others first. He counted personal gain as nothing when compared to the will of God. Nothing. That's self-abasement. Based upon a careful counting of the costs. Paul reproduced the mind of Christ. Moses reproduced the mind of Christ. But now let's look at the matters of subservience or submission. After humbling himself to become a man, our Lord Jesus Christ himself even went further by becoming a slave, not only to his father, but to mankind as well. I can understand becoming a slave to God. But the people like me, that's a different story. But that's what Jesus did. This revealed his mind or attitude of obedience. Obedience to the will and plan of God. Even though it also involved obedience to the laws of men. What did he say? He said, I came not to be served, not to be a master, but to serve, to be a slave. That's what he said. He took the position of a bond slave in order to perfect our redemption. What an awesome thought that is. Moses also manifested that kind of a mindset. Listen again to Hebrews chapter 11, picking up again at verse 24. Listen to the word of God. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as son, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Remember now, the children of Israel were slaves to Pharaoh. And so therefore when Moses chose to identify himself with the people of Israel, he chose to be identified as a slave. He chose to be identified as a slave. From one of Pharaoh's princes to one of Christ's bond slave. That was the nature and extent of his self-abasement. He chose submission to Jesus Christ rather than to Pharaoh, to self, or the world. 
That's Moses now. And again, we see the mind of Christ being reproduced in this man. It can be done. The mind of Christ can be reproduced by humans. Why? Because God commanded us to do it and he doesn't command us anything we can't do. And also because it has been done already. But what about Paul? Did he also reproduce the mind of Christ in this respect of, of obedience? Was he totally submissive to Jesus Christ? Remember now, Paul was an independent, strong-willed Pharisee. Then one day, as he was on his way to Damascus to round up Christians, Jesus met him face to face. You remember the story? And in response, the Bible tells us that Paul fell to his knees in complete submission and he asked the question, What would you have me to do, Lord? A slave. Looking for directions from his master. That submission. Jesus now is recognized by Paul as Lord and my friends, the bond slave always obeys the commands of his master. Paul surrendered completely, absolutely to the lordship of Jesus Christ, the mastership of Jesus Christ in and over his life. He chose to become a bond slave of Jesus. And it is a choice. That too was the mind of Christ being reproduced by Paul. It can be done. It has been done. And we are commanded to have the mindset in us that was also in Christ Jesus. That's an order, I repeat. It's a command. And it has been done. We have no excuse. None whatsoever. To say, I can't do it. None whatsoever. Only disobedience and self-will can prevent such a mind from dominating and controlling our lives when we say we are our own master. But there's still one more aspect to the mind of Christ as revealed in Philippians 2. And that's the aspect of self-sacrifice. This is the one that we run away from. This is the one that is so difficult for us. Self-sacrifice. As God, Christ humbled himself and became a man. As man, he humbled himself and became a slave. And as a slave, he humbled himself even further by choosing to die on a cross for our sins. The worst of all forms of death. And verse 8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even! You see, that's, here is the, that's the comparison. Even! Death on a cross. This is the apex and cultivation of submission and obedience to the will of God. Sacrifice of one's life for the sake of someone else at the command of our master. The scripture says he gave himself as a ransom for many that he might bring them to God. The scripture says, he who knew no sin was made a sin atonement for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now look at this passage of scripture. And I want us to read this passage together, please. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Would you read that with me? For... of us wants to know what's our purpose for life here it is right here is to live for Christ and not for ourselves that's it right there that's our purpose for living to live for the one who died for us and not for ourselves Christ was willing to die for us and he did that's the mind of Christ revealed and that's also an aspect of the mind of Christ that we are commanded to demonstrate in our lives as Christian. Is it possible? Yes. 
because God commands us to do it and because it has been done. But look at Moses once more. You might need some more convincing. In Exodus 32, this is the instance when Moses, uh, when the people built and worshipped a golden calf as the God who brought them out of Egypt. God's wrath is hot against them. And he's about to wipe them on the face of the earth. But then Moses intercedes on their behalf. And this is what he says in Exodus 32, verse 30. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. That's an amazing statement. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please, please forgive them their sin. But if not, blot me out of the book you have written. Do you get the trust of this? Moses actually says, Lord, if you don't spare them, then don't spare me either. In fact, send me to hell if you don't save them. Moses was ready to sacrifice his life for his people. That's the mind of Christ reproduced. It can be done. It has been done. Moses did it. But what about Paul? He was a Jew. And he grieved much over the spiritual losses of his people. And then this is what he says in Romans 9, speaking to God. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. This is for his fellow Jewish brethren who rejected Christ. I have great sorrow and an increasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race. Did you get this? This is the one who said he had given up everything for Christ. Now he stands before them as he sees his people going to hell. And he says, oh, I would be willing to go to hell instead of them. Like Christ, like Moses, Paul was willing to offer himself as a sacrifice for his people. That's the mindset of a slave of Christ. Now, of course, we know that as far as salvation is concerned, Christ's death alone could atone for our sins. No other death would or could suffice for our sin, for our redemption. However, Christ still commands us to have that mindset or attitude of sacrifice for others as believers. That the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ reaches out even to the point of self-sacrifice for the sake of of the people of God. It can be done. It has been done. And God expects us to have that mindset in our lives, in our relationship to one another. That's the command given in Philippians 2. But now let me give you the most compelling reason of all as to why we should endeavor to manifest the mind of Christ in our relationship to one another. Here is the most compelling reason. And what is it? We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. That's right. We have the mind of Christ. All we need to do, I'm talking to believers in Christ, all we need to do is to allow the Holy Spirit to manifest or reproduce that mind in us. Listen to this amazing passage in 1 Corinthians 2. Paul says in verse 16, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Now this is referring primarily to the unsaved, the one without the Spirit of God. But now notice the next phrase, speaking exclusively of believers in Christ. He says, quote, but we have the mind of Christ. Do you see it? 
Look in the Word. We have the mind of Christ. The context tells us this is so because we as believers have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. When He is allowed to fully control our lives, the mind of Christ will be reproduced in us as well. So in effect, Paul is saying in Philippians 2.5, because you have the mind of Christ, live it out to the power of the Holy Spirit. Reproduce it in your life to the control and submission to the Holy Spirit who indwells you. That's what he's saying here. This means, therefore, that the only reason why we don't relate to one another the way our master demands is because we are deliberately suppressing the mindset of Christ as a slave in our individual lives. We're suppressing it. We have it, but we're suppressing it. We know that we should be exercising his mindset of sacrificial care and concern for one another. We even know that we can do it, but we don't do it. Why? Because we're not only being paradoxical in our relationship to our master, we're also being hypocritical. How so, you may ask? Well, we call him Lord and Master, but yet we don't do what he says. He tells us to do something, but we don't do it. And so we say no to our master. That's paradoxical and hypocritical. That's not the mindset of Christ. That's the mindset of a disobedient slave who thinks he or she is master of their own life. How can you call me master? And do not do the things that I demand. That's the word of the master. Beloved, a true born slave of Christ lives the way a master lived. With the attitude of a slave when it comes to serving both his father and his people that he came to redeem out of the slave market of sin. He demands that we live the same way he did. This is very important. You then as an individual believer who entered into the slave-master relationship when you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, you must make an accounting right now. What is more important? Living for the glory of God or for self? To whom will you be obedient and submissive? To the world, the flesh, the devil, yourself, or to Jesus Christ? To whom will you offer yourself? To Christ or to sin and to Satan? Whose mindset will you reproduce in your life? Satan's or Christ? The answer will determine whose slave you really are because you are the slave of someone. Either sin or Christ. Whose slave are you? The answer will determine whose slave you really are and will be revealed in how you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh yes, that's what shows up in your relationship to one another. I want to leave you now with the words and the example of our master himself. The context is in the upper room in the night in which he was betrayed. John chapter 13. I read from that passage as I close. Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his time had come to depart from the world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now loved them to the very end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already put into his heart into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, that they should betray Jesus. Because Jesus knew that the Father had handed all things over to him, he was master, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he got up from the meal, removed his outer garments, took a towel, and tied it around himself. This is the uniform of a slave. This is the uniform of a slave. He took a towel and tied it around himself. He poured water into the wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel he had wrapped around himself. Then he came to Simon Peter. Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not understand what I am doing now. See, this is the point. We really don't understand 
the mindset of a slave. You don't understand what I am doing now, but you will understand after these things. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, if I do not wash you, you have no share of me. Notice now, I want you to see the import of this statement. What is Peter saying? What is Jesus saying? Jesus saying, Peter, if you don't accept me as your slave, you can't have me as your master. Now think about that. If you cannot accept me as your slave, you cannot have me as your master. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. That's complete submission, my friends. Jesus replied, the one who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not every one of you. For Jesus knew the one was going to betray him. For this reason, he said, not every one of you is clean. Now, please read this passage together. Let's read this um, corporately from verse 12. Would you read this, please? So... And so my closing question to you, that text needs no elaboration. My closing question is a simple one. Will you be blessed by living as a slave of Christ, both in your relationships to him and to one another? To put it another way, whose slave are you? Your mindset demonstrated in your relationship to one another will tell you. Sila. Think and act on these things. Just a word of prayer as we sing our final hymn. Taking a little liberty to preach a little longer today because I won't be with you for a little while. Please bow. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. So clear. So direct. Grant that we, through the enablement of your Holy Spirit, will demonstrate the mind of Christ, the mind of a slave, in our relationships to one another. So we would care and love for one another, even in the way that you care and love for us, even to the point of self-sacrifice. And all of God's people said, Amen.
Father, we ask that you would imprint, stamp these words upon our heart. We who call you as Lord and Savior, may this truly be the desire of our lives. Now we ask that as we leave this place, you would go before us and with us and bring us back again to worship corporately you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.